0: Welcome to Bits of Reality Podcast, the podcast that teaches evangelism, discipleship, and how to live out the Word of God. Good morning. Good morning. there we go that's better it gets it's pretty easy to forget that you have a microphone on. you're, you're a preacher, Scott. come on now. Uh, well, as you notice on your uh, church bulletin, as I did just this morning, uh, I should be preaching from verses five through eleven, however. I had misread that when Scott had first texted for me to uh, preach this passage, and I went from verse 1 through 12. So, um, uh, I'm sorry if that seems a little lengthy to you, but uh, it's for your good and for God's glory. And uh, so, bear with me, and uh, we'll get started. First, I'd like to pray and... uh, That I I find is the most important thing to do before we approach the Word of God. Father, I thank you for this time together with other believers. I thank you for the truth in your Word, and this Word this morning is very encouraging as a reminder to us that as we go through life, it's easy to forget who it is we serve and why we do what we do, how we live why we live that way, but Lord, your word, it keeps us, it strengthens us, and it helps us move forward through this life. Forgive us of our sins and our failures. Help us to be reminded and to remember as we go forth from here today to serve you and why we serve you, because we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, without further ado, today's passage, uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but, you know, in today's modern church, we see what uh, they believe as uh, growth and godliness. That's not the same as what our... uh, passage is going to be about. Their belief is a little different than that, as I've heard different sermons uh, throughout the last few weeks from uh, modern churches. And uh, a lot of their sermon series and uh, events, their sermons are always focused on uh, different catchy titles, like, uh, for instance, 10 ways that God wants to bless you, five key biblical principles for a happy life, or even uh, five best biblical foods you can eat so that way you can enjoy your health, that sort of thing. Things that um, are all about the flesh, really. They're all about man centered theology, as I call it. But uh, this sermon today will not do that, I hope. And if you were hoping for that, well, I'm sorry, it's going to be disappointing for you. However, uh, the things we will be focusing on will be to glorify Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. Also, it will hopefully show us how dependent we are upon His grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. Because we are just lowly creatures of dust who are unworthy to even kiss His feet. I believe that sometimes we forget what God expects from us in our daily lives and as we go through life, and instead we focus on what we expect of Him. So, this message will be a reminder for myself and also, I hope, for you all. So, let's read our passage this morning in 2 Peter verses 1 through 12, not 5 through 11. Simon Peter. A bondservant and Apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For, the entrance, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly applied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So a bit of background as for this epistle of uh, Peter. There is a bit of controversy, or I should say former controversy, for this epistle because of the original writing. Uh, Some of the founding fathers of the faith, uh, even the reformers had a hard time accepting Second Peter because of the handwriting that was different from Peter's first epistle. And if you're wondering the possibility as to why, there's a good possibility Peter was in prison at this very moment. And if he des- did not necessarily have his own writing utensils or things to write, he could have used someone else's to write this for him. and uh, But it's very much like Peter as to how he goes about preaching and explaining. And uh, so I, I do hope that uh, this is uh, made better and made clear to you as I go through this. Um, his audience was also probably mostly Gentiles and In the rest of the epistle he's warning about false teachers that will be his main concern if you were to do your own study so uh, let's get into the exposition of the passage Simon Peter a bondservant and Apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received the faith the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we see in verses one and two here, uh, Peter's introducing himself as a bond servant or bond slave and an apostle of Jesus. So this is a great balance of humility and authority. On the one hand, he's saying, I'm a bondservant, a fellow bondservant with you. I consider myself nothing more than a slave to to Jesus himself. However, he said, I have the authority to tell you these things and to remind you of them because I am an apostle. Now, if um, you have been in churches or have seen certain individuals in uh, other churches that have come up to this uh, similar kind of pulpit and said, I am an apostle of Christ. Um, So there's two schools of thought on that that say, In one sense, we are sent out by Christ, by his great commission back in the Gospels, yes. But to really qualify as the apostles, you would have to have a face-to-face meeting with Christ and him teach you the things he wants you to say. And most of the time when those people claim to be apostles, they will often uh, say, I had a revelation or I had a new bit of news this morning. And uh, if it's extra biblical, that means if it's not in the Bible, it's a lie. So, therefore, they are not apostles. They are actually false teachers, exactly what the rest of the epistles is talking about. So, uh, they are disqualified. But um, if if you are not familiar with the term bondservant or slave, the term is doulos, which I think uh, Scott or even Doug may have even covered before. Um, it's literally or metaphorically defined as a slave. Um, that's some Bibles do uh, translate it bond servant I am bonded to serve you but it's more of bond slave and the real meaning is uh, it's not in it's not an unwilling sense of service and love it is however saying Peter is glad to have this title of bond slave um, and you can see his eagerness previously in uh, John thirteen thirty seven, which Peter says to Jesus Master, why can't I follow you right now? I will even lay down my life for you. And uh, so you see just how, how eager Peter is to serve Christ. He loves Christ, and he, he calls him Master, Lord. And um, so this bond slave term is a term of love. In a sense, it's saying, I worship Christ as master of my life because I love him and because he first loved me. And he also refers to himself uh, as the apostle. And that is, uh, the word there is a divinely sent messenger or representative of Christ. And uh, like I said earlier, this title is only appropriate for those who have been taught directly by Christ. We cannot uh, claim ourselves that we are divinely appointed apostles um, because I don't know of any of you, uh, that have seen Christ this morning and had a new revelation. And uh, so, y- you can't claim that. And if you see someone claiming that, you may want to clarify that with them as to what they mean. Um, so, the modern use of this term is misconstrued. It's in; It can be uh, used by false teachers and even heretics. He then goes on to say that the words he has written are for christians those with the same faith as ours he says given by christ it's another show of humility as he makes no distinction amongst those in the faith uh, as it is one and equal with it uh, through all of them there is no leveling up in the faith uh, like uh, you might think in video games for instance level one through five you're this warrior class or you're a you're a hearer of the word Level 6 through 10, you're a doer of the word, so on, you know, you become a disciple finally. No, it's the faith, once you have it, you've got it, and it's equal with all. Now, there is a different maturity in faith, for certain, but faith itself doesn't have levels of greatness. Um, Christ gave it to all equally. So, it's basically um, referring to. That we are equal with one another, and that's why Paul is reassuring them. Even though I'm an apostle, I, my faith is equal with yours. Um, I'm I'm not considering myself greater than you. I am a brother with you, a fellow believer, a disciple, a bond servant. So, Paul actually says the same thing, referring to uh, you know elitism and different sects of faith. Um, as some people would in uh, Colossians 3.11, you know, he makes the mention that there is no difference or distinction between Greek, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, or servant, free or, or, or slave for that matter, because we are all one in Christ. To make those distinctions is to create pointless arguments, pointless divisions, and we know that Paul himself told Timothy and even Titus that those things were not to be amongst believers. We are to stay away from such things. So it's referring to uh, his stance stance of camaraderie with these Gentile believers as he is a Jew. Um, So verse 2 is simply a commendation for the continuation of thirst for a deep knowledge of Christ as he talks about the knowledge which has been given. And it's not a shallow knowledge, but as I'd call it, It's a lordship knowledge. Uh, Epignosis, which is the the word that is being used there in verse 2, seeking ways uh, to show their love and loyalty for Christ by seeking to please Him and to discover the things that will please Him. And um, on this, I want to take a moment and uh, I want to straighten out something that Bothers me when um, I am witnessing to people or asking them about their faith. When, especially in my this is really for my generation, but I, I think it it goes across the board. When I talk to people about Christ and their knowledge of Christ, you know what what is it about your faith? How how did you become saved? What's the reason for your faith? And um, you know they they said, well, I I went to church, I. Uh, I, I heard that Jesus loves me and and I, I wanted him to, to accept me and be my Lord. And you know, I just let him in my heart. And uh I love him. And they'll say that, and I'm like, well that's that's great. Um so what do you know about him? Uh you you said you wanted him to be your Lord, and you know he loves you, but what else do you know about him? And uh this question can be phrased even sometimes as, uh, how often do you read Scripture? What have you been reading lately? And uh, I get the answer occasionally from people that say, oh, I don't really read a lot. I just go to church once a month, twice twice a month, that sort of thing, and hear the sermon. And uh, so I get a lot of my understanding from that. And um, folks, I will say this. If you say... Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you love him, but you know nothing about him other than what a preacher has told you, you have not done your own studying, I'm going to ask you, do you really know Christ at all? There are 66 books in the Bible. If you only know one verse that has helped you come to salvation, great, that's awesome. Like Peter says, you're in the faith, great. But here's what I find is happening in my generation and in our times. Right now you can see this in the world. People are starting to read or learn more about Scripture. They're reading on their own. And they come to a verse that uh, their preacher has not covered ever. Uh, For instance, in the Gospels, uh, when people come to Jesus and say, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. I will do anything for you. Jesus said, okay, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. If you do not hate your own mother, father, brothers, sisters, or daughters more than uh, you love me, well, then you're not worthy of me. And when they get to that, they don't know what to do with it. They said, this doesn't sound like the Jesus I've heard. This doesn't sound like that. Jesus is all about love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. Those things are true. He is. But there's more to Christ than just love. There's more to Christ than just mercy and grace. He's not the kind of old man sitting in a rocking chair in heaven waiting to, oh, you're living in sin. That's okay. You go on about that life. He's not that. There are 66 books in the Bible and they can all be read and there's portions of them you can read with proper context and apply to your own life. Without proper study of your own, this deep knowledge that Peter is referring to here, how can you ever claim you know Christ or accept him as Lord and Savior? You can't. It's impossible. So, but that's just... Something that really bothers me when it comes to the knowledge of saving faith and, and scripture. When I hear people proclaiming Christ as Lord and they don't even know what that means. But let's move on. In verses 3 and 4, he, uh, he says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So, believe it or not, there's a lot to unpack in those two verses as far as cross-references. We could be here for a couple of hours just for those two verses, Um, but this is just an overview, so bear with me. If it's not deep uh, enough study for you, I apologize. If it's too deep, you'll get over it. Um, So, here we go. So, God has granted to us everything we need to live a godly life. You know, oftentimes we pray for more strength or hope, patience, kindness, perseverance. We pray for these things, but they've already been given to us. They are there. And if you're wondering, well, how do we know that they're there? You've got the Holy Spirit. If He's in your life, you've got all these things. He dwells within you. He works with you through your sanctification. He brings you along in the faith. Sometimes he has to drag us in in our faith, and those times I really am grateful I have the Holy Spirit because I want to start crawling backwards, going back to the old ways. But he drags me on anyways, and I am very grateful. But if you want to know about these promises, um, I actually looked up a a certain list of biblical promises in the New Testament, and I think... uh, (laughs) It listed over seven 750-plus promises that were in the New Testament from Christ and the apostles. And so if we wanted to look at all of them, once again, we'd be here for a long time. So I'm just going to read a few uh, bits of John 14 and let you see uh, the importance of the promises. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. And I don't have it added on the screen. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to... Um, have a lot of work in case I didn't have Chris back there. Uh, But here's what it says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself. There's a promise right there. We're starting right there. There's already a promise. He's telling them, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There are many rooms in my father's house. That's not a... There could be many rooms. There could be... There There might be. I'm not sure. haven't been there. He is going and to say that this is a solid fact. I know it because I built it, and I'm going to design it and build it for you. So he's going there, And he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So there's actually another distinction and a distinct promise. He says, you want entrance into heaven? There is no other way but through me that's a guarantee, no other way. And he doesn't just say that once. There's many conversations he has with many people that it's the exact same line of thought. He, he's, he references himself as being equal with the Father, even though he also humbly says, I am his servant. Um, so he, uh, he continues, he said, no one comes to the Father but through me, and if you had known me, you would have known the Father. Also, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us.' And Jesus said to him, "'Have I been so long with you, and yet you uh, have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "'Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me?' The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative." But the Father, abiding in me, does his works. So we can move on further down there. Um, Here's uh, what it also says a few verses later. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. But it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. So we see that Christ is talking about the spirit of truth. That's another promise. He says, I'm going to send you a helper. He's promising to send the Holy Spirit in his stead to the disciples at that time, when He is resurrected and ascends to the Father. And what Christ is doing now is He's interceding on our behalf uh, at the Father's right hand. So uh, while He's doing that, He's not here with us physically, so we have the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we can go on and continue living godly lives without the Holy Spirit assisting us, without the Holy Spirit guiding us helping us to even understand things in Scripture. And there's been times when I've been proven this very thing that I've read a chapter or a few verses of Scripture and I just can't get it. I I'm, I, I have no idea what it is, and uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I've even looked at commentaries or something, and I just still I don't understand why it says it the way that does, and my mind begins to even almost not accept it. And then I have to pray... The Holy Spirit, open my eyes, open my heart, humble me to be in obedience and understanding of Your Word. And He has done that thus far and will, according to Christ, continue to do that when I ask. So, the Holy Spirit is the helper, Christ's promise. That is the, one of the greatest promises that uh, Christ offered to the disciples and to even us now. Um, so, th- those are just a few of the promises. And there's more obviously. Uh, but those are, I want to focus on Christ's direct word promises there uh, and what an encouragement they are and what an encouragement they must have even been to the believers, um, knowing that as Peter had taught them and whoever else would have been with them and taught them about Christ, what an encouragement this would have been to them as Peter saying, those promises that Christ told us as Jews, Jewish believers, They're yours as well, even though you're Gentiles. There's no distinction, remember. So, um, now, this is pretty important to understand in that time, I think, in that time and place, even now, I think, there's a a bit of controversy and issues of uh, different elitisms uh, or elitists in different groups. But uh, in Jesus' day, and still in Peter's, you see that the Jews were the elite, they were elitists, pardon me, Uh, especially the Pharisees. They believed God favored only Jews, and he would only destroy and annihilate the Gentiles. Uh, So Peter, being a Jew, confirming uh, this inclusion of promises to the Gentiles is a big thing, and uh, it still is a big thing for us. We can't be disqualified just because a, a Jewish person reading the Torah says, uh-uh-uh, you're not getting in. Um, Peter says the opposite. Even though you're a Gentile, you still hold on to the promises. You've been guaranteed them. And um, now the last bit of verse 4 is referring to um, the escape of believers from the corruption and decay of the world, which chases only after whatever it lusts for. And that is very true because with the Holy Spirit as the helper, he works on our sanctification. And sanctification, we're not fully sanctified immediately, right? We're not fully sanctified uh, immediately right now. We're not perfect. I still sin. You still sin, I'm guessing. Um, anyone here doesn't sin, go ahead and raise your hand, right? Um, last time I checked, I, I was a sinner. And, and so the Holy Spirit helps us to work that and and work through that by letting us understand the deep things of God and the deep things of Christ in our lives. And we need that. We definitely need that. Uh, It's without understanding, like I said earlier, we're not going to know who we're serving or who we're calling Lord or why. Uh, It's important. But uh, let's let's move on in verses 5 through 7 here. Now for this very reason, Also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and of course, love. So Peter says, because of all these things given and done for us by God, we cannot simply just sit back and say, great, I've got faith. I can just live a lazy easygoing life. No problem. I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to worry about reading. I don't have to worry about studying. I've got faith. I'm good. So, uh, but we know this is, this is not exactly the case. Even Christ said a tree or a branch that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, into the fire. It's useless, worthless, pointless. So, Peter's telling them, okay, you've got the faith, you've got the understanding, you've got the knowledge that I've imparted to you by explaining and teaching you, great. Here's what you keep on working on. And he says, now, uh, go put in maximum effort into your godly living. That's what the word diligence is there. Uh, he's, uh, He's saying, put in maximum effort. No halfway Christianity here. Maximum effort only, giving all your diligence, all your effort to your Christian living. You cannot be self-serving. So, we know that once we are saved, we have to show total dedication. It's, there's no uh, part-time Christianity. In Luke nine sixty-two. Um, Jesus says, No man having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sorry, no halfway Christianity. No part-time Christians here allowed. Once you are in the faith, once you have dedicated yourself to the faith, you can't leave. You can't just say, well, I, I think I've had enough, or I, I think I'm, uh, I'm this good of a Christian, I'm done. I'm not going to study anymore. No more witnessing, no more evangelizing, no more even reading. Paul says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Or uh, Peter says that, pardon me. And so it's a continual effort. That's how sanctification works. It's a continual effort with us obeying God willingly and lovingly serving Him, not being self-serving. So uh, also you can even look at um, what Jesus said uh In Revelation 3, 5, he says, He who overcomes thus will be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So in this passage in in Revelation, Jesus is addressing a dead church, or a lazy, half-hearted people, the do-nothing church. And um, Peter says, we can't be like that. Maximum effort is required. And then he goes on to list the things Uh, that will follow in our faith. Now, faith is God's uh, given saving gift. The following things are going to prove to others and to even yourself that you are really fully committed to seeking that which is pleasing to God and loving Him. Moral excellence. What is the best way to define moral excellence? Anyone know that? Well, if you've ever read the Old Testament, I think you know that the Ten Commandments, that's the standard. That's the perfect standard, moral excellence right there. So, and God's moral excellence, moral law is summarized best by Christ when he explained it and summarized it by loving God with all that we are, all our heart, strength, soul, and mind. And loving our neighbors as ourselves. So doing good to others because you love God to show others you love them. It will show them that you love them. So you have to be diligent in these things. Although we slip up, we sin, we fail, the good news is there is mercy and forgiveness at the feet of Christ. We know we're not going to be 100% morally excellent 100% of the time. We are to continue to try to be holier and holier. Yes, that is what we are called to do. But that is not to be our point of salvation. We cannot say, well, now I've gotten to this level of moral excellence. I'm getting in for sure. If I can just keep it here, I'll be fine. There's more to this. More than just moral excellence. And by the way, In case you haven't heard it from anybody else, moral excellence will not save you. The Pharisees thought themselves as pretty uh, excellent with their morals. And Christ called them uh, snakes and serpents and uh, worse things than that. So it doesn't really work out. Sorry to disappoint you. Now, the next things that uh, Peter lists is knowledge. And uh, John MacArthur says it best like this. He says, This means understanding or having correct insight, truth properly comprehended and applied, or even a diligent study of the Word of God, right? So as Peter is talking to these Gentile believers, and he says, well, you've got knowledge, you've got what I've been teaching you, gain more knowledge. Keep studying, keep learning, be diligent in your study. Don't just read one verse completely out of context and be like, great, that's my life verse. That's exactly what I'm going to do now. Um, it, it's, it's a diligent study. That's why context is key when you approach Scripture. If uh, you read Scripture from the Old Testament about uh, several promises, and a lot of promises in the Old Testament are in, in Isaiah and in the prophets about what God's going to do for the nation of Israel And uh, I have seen so many people post those kind of um, promises and making them their life verse. And uh, I will comment or message them saying, do you know the context of this? Do you know what is actually being said in this entire chapter? Uh, I said, you can certainly rely that God's gonna do this, but this doesn't have your name on it. Uh, So you have to understand what the context is, who he's talking to, why he's saying something, who he's saying it to, and where's, where even is it being said. It can't just be I'm reading the Old Testament and it all applies to me. Like, for instance, um, I've not seen this as a case uh, of verse being put in someone's life verse status on social media. But, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, as uh, God asks Abraham to uh, sacrifice his son, right? Well, uh, I don't think I should see any one of you Uh, posting that as a life verse because it doesn't apply to you. So in case you didn't know that, I'm telling you that now. It doesn't apply to you. Okay, don't sacrifice your children. It doesn't work. Um, Instead, you can learn from that instance great faith, great faith of Abraham trusting completely and solely in God. That is how you look at those types of Scripture. So moving on. Um, self-control. Now that, that is a hard-hitting toe-stubber, as I call it, because all of us at one point or another throughout every single day of the week, including Sunday, I would say, we will uh, lack in self-control. We will fail in self-control in some instance. This is the hardest thing for any believer to maintain constantly why we live in a sinful world and we still have these dirtbag flesh sinful things on us can't get out of them just yet so there's the challenge it's constant but this is a that the wording there is actually literally defined as this holding oneself in it's it'd be the image picture of doing this and restraining yourself against the wall basically so the example that I think of uh, for this term is in first Corinthians 927 Paul talking uh, uh, to the uh, Corinthians and he says but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified and in some stronger wording uh, he actually Paul says I beat my body I beat it into submission, and that's something all of us have to work on because we do have these inclinations and these desires of our own to, uh, for instance, in traffic, someone cuts you off. I think we all know where that goes, right? Uh, As soon as someone cuts us off in traffic, that is the most irritating thing, or if someone is in a one-lane road and the speed limit is 55 and they're going 35 to 45, um, for me sometimes it feels like my blood is boiling. Uh, especially if, if I have to get to, to work or get somewhere important. Um, but self control, there, as a way of thinking in those instances, what am I doing? Is this glorifying God? Is this something that's going to show love to this person should I interact with them again? Is this really morally excellent of me? Is, you know, is, is it really. Christ-like of me. So, self-control, how do we know how to gain more self-control? You can go back to knowledge. You can go back to even understanding prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. I I, I do this uh, a lot of times when I I pray. Um, I don't just ask for the Holy Spirit's help. I ask Him to force me to do something. Because I know how I would respond to that as a sinful human being. I say, Lord, you're the Holy Spirit. You've got the power. I don't have any power. All I've got is hope that you are going to do what you need to do. You can make use of me to bring glory to yourself. That is what we ought to be doing. We're not to simply be like, well, I've tried praying. It doesn't work. I don't know if I've got the Holy Spirit, if I do, he's not working. Well, self-control, you do have a responsibility upon your own self to understand that, yes, you are a sinner, yes, you can fail, you will make mistakes, you will sin, and you're not perfect. However, you don't excuse those things away from saying that's just normal. You have to understand this dishonors God when I lose self-control. This dishonors the Holy Spirit. This grieves him in, in a sense to, to dishonor the Holy Spirit. We need to focus on self control, and I think in, in, in our certain time right now in the world, people are lacking self control. Everyone thinks everything should be theirs for absolutely nothing. They should get all the good things and do whatever they want without any consequence. But we are called for self control there is a standard of living for every Christian. Perseverance. This is a tall order for all of us during certain circumstances. Being patient with people, and this is even can apply to be self-control in one sense of how we deal with people or circumstances. This term is really referring to and, and defined as no surrendering to circumstances or while going through trials, hope is the cornerstone. This can be as little as dealing with a difficult person at work to dealing with deadly persecution. So perseverance. Perseverance. We may be coming upon a time where there is deadly persecution for us. John MacArthur and uh, some of his church have a little bit of persecution going on with them as California is trying to ban their worship together. Now, that's not the worst kind of persecution out there for sure, as Middle East believers are being beheaded and killed every day. So, but persevering through trials and circumstances to glorify God is a great reason to continue to not surrender. To whatever circumstances are about us so godliness this is also defined as holiness or holy living in another, another sense continue to grow in sanctification by the Holy Spirit um, the, like I said earlier don't just okay well I've come this far as a Christian I'm done no more reading no more studying I'm in I'm just gonna sit back let go and let God No. You have to keep practicing in the things of godliness. You can't become lazy. That's when we reach verse 12, that's what Peter is saying. You know this stuff, but this is a reminder for you. This is telling you, you know it, I'm going to say it again. How do we, in school, the only way I ever was to ever really remember something, asides from math, I could never remember math, no matter how many times I read it, um, was through repetition. Once I read a book... Or a chapter of a book, what I do is I'd reread it again and again and again. And that was my way of remembering what I thought I knew, right? And so that's what we have to do um, with even godly living as a reminder. And I'll, I also want to say something uh, about this. Some of us. Um, when we lack our own self-control in those moments or times when we're apart from the church even, or a lot of godly uh, other believers, and we're out there in the world and uh, we don't notice, but there's another Christian standing off in the distance somewhere, a good brother who's watching us, and we lose self-control and do something very foolish. And they come to us and they say, wow, that wasn't very Christ-like. Well. In my generation, and quite you all will notice this, but uh, the common phrasing as a rebuke to that Christian believer, don't judge me. Well, all he's doing here is what Peter's doing for these Gentile believers. He's giving you a reminder. If you say you are under Christ's lordship, act like it. That's all it is. He's not judging you. It's a brother clapping you on your shoulder and saying, hey, come on, what are you doing? You're supposed to be Christ-like. That wasn't Christ-like. And when he does come to remind you, it better be in Scripture if you're aware of it. It better be in Scripture. It can't just be something that they make up in the moment. So there's two sides to that. There's legalism, liberty, but that's another sermon. And we won't go into that right now. So moving on, though, brotherly love or brotherly kindness uh, Phileo or Philadelphia, as, as we've heard several times here, uh, brotherly love, loving one another as Christ loved us, showing deference for one another in in life and different matters. We're treating others how we'd want to be treated, right? Sometimes, uh, and I'm not picking on anyone uh, specific here, Dad. <clears throat> But uh, that might mean at lunch, you might give me the last piece of pie. (laughs) Deference, brotherly kindness. Uh, But no. Uh, But this is something we need to focus on. We can't all just be running to the front of the line and making sure we're the first ones there in a a sense. We're not supposed to, I want to be the first one there. I want to be the first one, so I'm going to push everybody else out of my way. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the first one there. I want to be the front of the line. This is referring to, because I love you, brother or sister, I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you, dad, have the last piece of pie. So that's that's the brotherly love. And, and this brotherly love also can be, in what I mentioned earlier about godliness and a brother coming to us and reminding us about godly living when we lose self-control or we sin so that's that's just a, a wonderful thing and, and I also see that um, I think we've learned quite a lot about the different uh, words of, of love here at this church I think we've gone through them quite a lot but as a reminder um, there are, there are quite a few. There's four or five in the Greek uh, that you can look up that, are, uh, that have different qualities and different meanings as to how to apply in our daily living. Um, but the last word here is obviously love. And this is not the phileo or uh, Philadelphia love, as I said, brotherly kindness. This is the agape love, which is uh, self-sacrificing love. This is um, best summed up when when Christ said, uh, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. That is the self-sacrificing love. Uh, That is the greatest love you could ever have um, for another believer. So this is a love that I don't think a lot of modern churches really... Present properly. They present it as it's all about your feelings. It's how you feel about a certain person. Well, it's not that. Your feelings do eventually, uh, obviously, arise in loving someone. You do feel love. And if you didn't feel love, would you ever really lay down your life for someone else, right? Um, if, If I didn't love, Uh, Scott and Laura, would I be helping them? If I didn't love Doug and and Lynn, would I be helping them, right? Uh, It'd be a a chore, a boredom, right, if I didn't love them. So I love them. I love you guys, just so you know. Um, It's not a chore. I love you. Um, But the self-sacrificing love is to give of yourself to others, despite what you yourself have, have been burdened with by your own life and circumstances. So let's move on here um, from verse 8 through 12 for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from the former sins therefore brethren make certain about his calling and choosing of you For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. All right. So Peter then confirms once again that these attributes are what makes up a Christian and what makes a Christian useful to Christ. And if one claiming to be a Christian does not have these qualities in practice and belief as a lifestyle of living, then he's blind or doesn't understand what he's claimed, like I said earlier. If you don't know Christ, how can you claim him as Lord? If you don't know anything about him, how can you say you love him? So, it says you're blind if you don't understand these or if you don't practice these. You don't understand what you've claimed. He goes on to say that we should make sure about being called as believers. Paul says uh, something very similar uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize that about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So you need to understand that are you practicing these qualities? Are you sure you are called? But is serving Christ, is it a real burden to you? Do you not want to do it? Are you just doing it for appearance's sake or because your parents told you to? Right? Make sure you are called. A non-believer can't really say they're saved. They're not going to really want to talk like it or live like it. Like I said, if, they're, if they show up to church, it's only for appearances. When you see them out and about in the world, you're going to see what they really are. I've seen that quite a lot from some former classmates. And uh, it, it's, a sad, it's a sad thing for me. It's very sad. But these that are indeed called we're going to do uh, what we're supposed to do john the baptist said this to his followers and even to the pharisees in matthew chapter 3 verse 8 he says bear fruit in keeping with repentance right and we know that uh christ himself in matthew 7 now, that's the same thing as I mentioned earlier. That's the same chapter that Christ says, do not judge. And then later on, he says this. He says, you will know them by their fruits, bearing good fruits. So, and you will know someone by the fruits they bear. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a lot to take in at times. Um, but you're going to know if someone's called or if someone wants to know if they're called. Do they really seek to serve Christ? Do they really have all these qualities that were were listed and explained a few minutes ago? Do they love practicing them? Do they know that they struggle practicing them? So, but uh, we also know that we have a helper, that we're not alone in all these things. We have the Holy Spirit, as we read some in John 14. So, you can also look at Galatians 5, 22, and 23, fruits of the Spirit. If you want to know if you're called, are you practicing these things? Are you living in these things? And as long as we are in Christ, those good fruits will not wither and die out. In verse 11, Peter tells them, in this way of living, the entrance to the kingdom is abundantly supplied. That means it's, it's right there it's for you it's it's wide open for you it's abundantly supplied if you're practicing these things if now a person that's not practicing these things they're going to be short-sighted they're going to lose sight of the goal that is christ that is heaven a short-sighted person is going to practice these things for a short time and say man what am i doing what, why am i doing this right and they're they're going to go off the path. So but a person that keeps practicing this we are abundantly suppri- up supplied with the entrance of the kingdom of heaven. So moving on here we know that uh Peter is saying to these believers he says in verse 12, I'll make sure to keep reminding you of these truths because you and I need to be reminded. Peter had his reminder and establishment after Christ's resurrection in John 21, verses 15 through 17, of what he needed to be reminded of to love Christ above everything else. Does he really have the commitment? And this passage itself is not very much different. Are we really committed to the way of Christ? Are we really committed to his word and godly living? Make sure you are. In life, we're going to be bogged down with jobs, finances, heartache, guilt, sin, thoughts of unworthiness, deeds of unworthiness. Well, I think, you know, for some that might say, I'm useless, so I might as well be useless. And that's what some that have claimed the faith do. They get to a point and they say, I just can't get out of the routine of sin. I'm useless. I might as well just give up. Well, Peter says, don't. Be diligent. Put in maximum effort. Prove to yourself and to others around you in Christ that you are worthy of the calling, that you are called. It's not going to be an uh, encouraging message when you are directing these kind of reminders because people are going to want to uh Hear the positive message of, God loves you. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about whatever. But if that's what you're seeking this morning, I would ask you, are you sure about his calling of you? Are you sure about wanting to follow Christ? Are you sure of his love? Are you sure that you love him? I can tell you this about myself. I need the reminder every single day, not just once a week, but every single day. I thank God that I work with fellow believers in my, in my job, and uh, one of my fellow workers is someone that's been here, Devin, you know him. He is training to be a pastor, and he works there. That helps me a tremendous amount. To have a brother alongside with me to remind me of these things when i do lose self-control when i do fail or stumble in some way i've got a brother there that reminds me of the words of scripture that reminds me of the deep knowledge of christ and i'm grateful for that and i hope that this message has been the same thing for you It is a reminder of the things to focus on don't get lazy just because you think well i'm saved i'm done i I just sit back. No, I'm, I'm hoping that every week that you're here, you get a reminder from either Scott, Kwame, myself, or Doug of the important things that you're to be focusing in life. Don't be focused on the troubles of the world. Some people uh, I know, are, they're so focused on circumstances of the world, they sit and do nothing but watch news all day. That's their focus. That's their God, basically. And I've confronted some of these people with that. Um, someone that, uh, uh, my landlord even, he is a news fanatic. And, he, and I've asked him, and he says, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And, uh, but, you know, I'm just worried about what's going on in the world. And uh, I'm focused on what the TV has to say. And I said, well, what about witnessing and evangelizing? Do you do any of that? He goes, well, I just I don't know how to really do that. I said, how long have you been a believer? Oh, probably 40, 60 years. And you don't know anything about evangelism? You don't know anything about proclaiming the gospel? Do you know what the actual gospel is? That's what I'm hoping is being said to you today. Do you know these things? Are you reminded? Well, I hope so, because it reminded me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your words. We need this reminder. We need these things in our minds constantly because, Lord, this world is a mess. We're a mess when we depart from your word, when we depart from the deep knowledge that you've made accessible for us. And, Lord, I thank you that you've given us a helper. You've given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand your words and to give us hope of your return. I thank you for Scott and Doug I thank you for their mentorship to me and uh, the rest of the church. They genuinely love your word and they are, every week, they remind us of what our focus is to be on. Not ourselves, not our own issues, but to serve you and to seek the things that are pleasing to you in your word. To be diligent studiers of your word. And Lord, I hope I've given the same kind of reminder today. I hope that none of my words were a waste, but all of them were for my fellow believers' good and for your glory. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.